Welcome to the first behind the scenes episode of Golden State Writers, a podcast where we interview contemporary California writers and highlight the vibrant literary scene of the Golden State. Right now, we're recording from our homes while we shelter in place during the coronavirus pandemic, and thought we'd take this opportunity to record a pod just to introduce ourselves to our listeners. So, Grace, who are you, and what made you want to start a podcast about the literature of California? Yeah, um, like you said, I'm Grace Holtzclaw. I'm a second-year writing and literature major at UCSB in the College of Creative Studies, and I do a little bit of writing outside of that for a couple of different websites. I do some music journalism for the young folks, and then I also write for a website called Fine Medium and Broad. Um, And I wanted to start this podcast just because one of my goals going into college was to kind of expose myself to newer voices that are in my immediate surroundings and in the state that I'm from. Since kind of growing up in high school, I feel like I was taught a very canonized version of literature and just those classic voices that we kind of keep hearing over and over again. So I kind of wanted to break out of that and get into some interviews. But what about you, Karamay? Tell us about yourself. (laughs) So I'm Kara Mae Brown, and I am an assistant teaching professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, um, in the College of Creative Studies and in the writing program. And I'm a writer. I write primarily creative nonfiction, so personal essays and the like, um, a little bit of fiction, and recently uh, started writing poetry. So that's like a whole new thing for me. And um, yeah, you know, it's so funny. I remember when you came to talk to me about doing a project where you would be exploring, um, you know, sort of writers in our our area in Santa Barbara. I remember being like, I've been wanting to do that too. Um, I had been really wanting to start a podcast just just because I feel like it's what writers are doing right now. And I love, you know, being part of the zeitgeist. Um, But I also kind of like you being somebody who's newer to California, I thought it was a great way to kind of like force myself to get acquainted with the literature from, from the region. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of all of that, you're also a California writer yourself. Um, So I was wondering if maybe we could hear a little bit of your work. Sure. Uh, California by way of Ohio and Massachusetts, but yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm going to read a little bit from, uh, it's actually a work in progress, just an uh, essay I've been working on called Burn Scar. Um, And I thought I would read this because it does deal directly with um, our Santa Barbara region. So here we go. Before we hiked the burn scar, Mara and I lounged in Adirondack chairs, nursing grapefruit mimosas and surveying the view from her house. Skye and Sybil, our kids, splashed in a pool of frigid well water, Greg loosely supervising as he dunked potted succulents in the collected rainwater from the season. Mara glanced behind her at the burn scar. Is it weird that I find it beautiful? She asked. No, I answered, and at the time, I think I meant it. Scars, after all, are the stories of our healing. Our own scars when we, our own skin scars when our wounds reach maturation, the point at which the rate of deterioration and regrowth achieves equilibrium. The new skin grows in parallel strokes rather than the normally chaotic patterns of skin, giving scars their unique appearance. I've never understood why people hide or are ashamed of their scars. 
I have one on my forehead, a thin crevice arching up above my eyebrow that I find quite elegant. My husband has a little crescent moon scar by his nose from a childhood dog bite. It's adorable. Mara and I share matching C-section scars. Our shared stories of healing from those wounds form the heart of our friendship. The difference, I suppose, lies in whether the scar is a product of an accident or assault. With the chaparral scars, it's complicated. While the shrublands seem to benefit from occasional fires, which promote soil and flora diversity, the increasing frequency and intensity of wildfires is unsustainable. According to a report by the California Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment, the area burned in California each year has been on the rise since the 1950s. Not only have those fires been catastrophic to people, with 40 deaths in the state from wildfire in 2017 alone, but to ecosystems too. Toxic ash and debris from the fires flow into watersheds. Plant life is unable to regenerate. Human homes aren't the only ones destroyed. Wildlife habitats are cut off or eradicated. Time, of course, is another requisite to healing. In the breakneck pace of climate crisis, I worry that we are constantly opening new wounds. Each fire is a feedback loop, sending ever more earth-warming carbon into the atmosphere, so much like the cycles of abuse. Yeah, I, I really loved this piece because I feel like you really put California into it as a character, and I found that really fascinating. And just, I got to read the full piece, and going through it, I recognize a lot of places and trails that you talk about that I've been myself. And um, the question that I have for you is kind of, it, when you went back and wrote about those places, were there sort of details or memories that you uncovered when you were writing that you hadn't experienced when you were actually there in the present moment? Yeah, uh, I'm so glad you asked that because I think the biggest joy for me about writing is the fact that it's always such an active discovery. You know, I never know what's going to happen when I write or what is going to come out of it. And I think with this one, it was actually far less about the places um, in terms of what I discovered. I, I, I went into it thinking it was an essay about place, but it, what it really brought to me was just how much I cared for the people who uh, were in those places with me. And it made me think a lot about how place and relationships are so intertwined. Uh, but it also... It, it made me discover new things also in the sense that part of what I wanted to do with this piece was I wanted to expand it kind of beyond just my own experiences. And I wanted to incorporate, you know, some, some research about fires, um, which are such a bizarre thing to me as someone who grew up in the Midwest, you know, seeing these huge fires, it's, it's just unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, having to actually sit with some of the data in terms of, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking at rainfall amounts measured in these really specific stations. So I think in the essay, I mentioned San Marcos Pass. And it was so interesting for me to think about these very specific places, you know, in the mountains or around town that I know, measuring rainwater and having often quite different measurements and, and seeing the, you know, drastic difference between like a drought year um, and, a, and a better year. So, you know, thinking about place through kind of like the, the data like that was actually really new for me. I think it's really interesting that kind of the data that you uncovered and the research that you got into fit so well with the story too, because obviously you hadn't known that prior. Yeah, 
yeah, it was really, really fun to write, actually. (laughs) Okay, now it's your turn. Um, Let's hear what a born and raised in California writer sounds like. All right. A man with a dog on a skateboard goes whizzing through the street outside the coffee joint like a bottle of whipped cream whose trigger has been pulled. He looks like Jack, if Jack were skinny. It looks like Jack's dog. I heard from a chum of mine that he came back to town. It's not until he hits a rock and bangs his head on the curb that our eyes fall into the rat trap that we once got stuck in. I am the dumb rodent who goes for the cheese every time. It tastes better knowing that my demise is close at hand. Since going on tour as lead guitarist and van driver for Sexy Beast, Jack has grown an ego fatter than concentrated lard, but is still as hot as the splat it gives off when thrown into the frying pan. He's often compared to Hollywood big shot Owen Wilson. You may have seen him in Wedding Crashers or Zoolander. He conditions his hair with what he finds in strangers' showers, and he doesn't meet many strangers. Maybe that's because he doesn't wear shoes anywhere. But if you catch a girl in the middle of her very first Grateful Dead phase, a boy without shoes on can be granola kryptonite. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So definitely what I noticed about reading this piece when you sent it to me, uh, I, you know, I've read a lot of your work as your professor. And uh, one of the things I always see is just the tremendous sort of energy that your prose has. And I, I love that. Um, it has like a very kinetic feel. But I also think that you really do have a knack for characters. And you do, um, in this piece, I thought that the relationship between the narrator and Jack kind of as it goes through is um, it's really intriguing. And you do this thing where you do um, weave in kind of pop culture re- references and things, but it never feels like you're just doing it you know, to, to do a reference, it feels really connected to the characters. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you come up with characters and how you conceive of them and their lives and their preferences. Um, I don't know, I guess, I think it all comes down to kind of focus and like being present in that moment, because a lot of times when I sit down to write a piece, I don't really know what I'm going to get into. And um, that day I happened to be listening to Sublime for whatever reason <laughs> Sublime, I couldn't tell you. Um, and that got me just kind of like, oh, why am I listening to Sublime? And then I would look up, you know, like the lead singer in that band and like find out a little bit of his story. And then I would put a little bit of that lead singer into my main character and draw parallels between the two. So I think it just kind of depends on listening to what's around you and trying to incorporate that into the story that you're working on. That is not at all how I thought you were going to answer that. That's amazing. <laughs> and I loved how Sublime kept popping up in this story I've in different ways. I never person, but I don't know. It just happened that day. And it was by coincidence that it came together. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> um, so getting into more kind of personal questions about who you are as a writer, um, I would love to know how living in California specifically has affected your writing so uh, there's kind of two ways I could answer that um one way I would say is that I feel like when I you know I moved to California um about five six years ago and before that I had been living in Boston for about 10 years and I grew up in Ohio and I feel like coming out here kind of 
really returned me to myself in some really interesting ways. Like I had pretty much forgotten that I actually, one of the very first things that got me interested in writing was um, some of the like classics of American nature writing. I mean, even like John Muir, (laughs) speaking of California writers. Um, And so kind of getting back to a place where I could like get out more and hike and sort of be in nature. So it reminded me, I was like, oh yeah, this is like, this is kind of where it all started for me. But the other part of it is that um, the job that I took here, where, as you know, I work really closely with uh, undergraduate writers um, on their creative work in a way that I never had before, has been completely a game changer. Um, so I mentioned sort of jokingly at the beginning that uh, I recently wrote my first poem <laughs> that's coming out in July. And that was it just came out of a class session where um, me and another student were like, what if we turn these essays into poems? And I, I would have never done that, um, you know, on my own. And so I find working with students to be super generative and inspiring. And uh, I feel like it's really helped me expand as a, as a writer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what? Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, I was just going to say that. Yeah, I feel like some of my best ideas come from like class sessions and conversations with my peers and like the people that I'm surrounded by. Yeah, it's a really great environment. I can't wait till we can go back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what about you? You know, was there a moment, you know, and for me, I feel like thinking about like being a California writer, it's like, oh yeah, I up and moved here. But for someone who was born and raised here, was there a moment where you became more conscious about the effect of your home state on your writing? Yeah, um, I think, I don't know. I think growing up, there was always a little bit of a disconnect between me and kind of California. I just didn't put very much thought into it. But um, I, when I graduated high school, I was very intent on leaving California and going East Coast, art school oh. kind of action. Um, and that obviously didn't happen for me. <laughs> uh, but I think that um, I found a lot of, I don't know, I've gotten a lot closer to my identity as Californian since going to college. I think that spending time in Santa Barbara has taught me a lot about that, just like living by the beach and being able to look out of my window and see this really cool oil oil rig in the middle of the night that lights up and that the doors wrote a song about and just lots of things like that like I feel like I I don't know a lot of it comes down to music for me because I'm very into music as well and um the mamas and the papas are a very big California band that I associate with my identity like I remember listening to them growing up and then as soon as I got my driver's license, the first place that I went was Laurel Canyon, where they lived, and I drove through that whole stretch. So I think just going places where some of my favorite authors have been and seeing the things that have inspired them have also inspired me to kind of have a different take on it. That's awesome. Maybe when the pandemic is over, we can do a road trip episode. Fantastic, yeah. (laughs) Riders on the road. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I think my brain is just going to any kind of fantasy of being on the road right now. (laughs) Um, And actually, you know, let's talk about, um, you know, we started this podcast 
or started even like planning it back in fall and um, we're able to conduct our first two episodes, our first two interviews uh, before quarantine. And uh, we were in that nice, cozy little recording studio in, in Kerr Hall, which just gives me such anxiety to think about now because we were just crammed into this little closet. Um, but it was lovely. And I can't wait for people to hear our first interviews. And I'd love to know, um, and also full disclosure, Grace writes all the scripts. I'm just here to have her have somebody to talk to. But how do you come up with the interview questions? And do you do any research? And what's the biggest thing you've learned from doing these interviews? Um, I think you kind of have to be flexible with it. Because I think that I went into my first interview thinking that there was a definite answer that I wanted out of the author that I was interviewing. And that you know, I could kind of predict what responses that he was going to give me. But, you know, I've kind of learned that that's not what you want with an interview. And you want to have who you're interviewing kind of take the reins a little bit more. Um, so I guess I've learned to just ask more, you know, definitely do the research, get to know the author that you're sitting down with, um, but also leave a lot of room for interpretation and like be open to listening and kind of improvising with them and having it be more of a conversation than a script, you know? Absolutely. If, yeah. So if you could only interview one author, dead or alive, for all time, who would it be? Um, I really am, like, obsessed with Zora Neale Hurston. I think she's amazing. <laughs> um, she wrote Their Eyes Were Watching God, and she did a lot of journalism. And um, she is really into, like, anthropology and kind of going – she did this whole project where she went through the South and kind of interviewed people on um, their individual mythologies and collected all of that. Um, so she just has like a way with people and just connecting with them and finding their stories and getting that written down. So I think she's a great author and um, I don't know, she has like no ego to her, you know, she's obsessed with like kind of telling everybody else's story instead of her own, but also, also she's great at telling her own story, but I don't know, I think that she really is interested in getting to the humanity in writing, and she's awesome, so I would definitely pick her. Nice. Uh, what about you? I'm going to ask you the same question. Oh, man, this is so hard because there's so many, and I was thinking about how, uh, actually, at College of Creative Studies, I've been so lucky to interview some pretty fabulous writers, so I was thinking about, you know, we had Anthony Doerr, um, graced the stage of the old little theater and I got to interview him and um, Kirsten Chen and George Saunders. So I, I feel like, you know, I've had some good ones. Uh, I have to say though, I was thinking about this in terms of like who I think I would just have so much fun with. Like who do I think, even if we weren't doing like a, a formal interview, just sitting down, having a, a conversation and a beer, I was kind of like, Roxane Gay. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think she's so smart. I think, I, you know, it's interesting because you were kind of pointing out some of the ways that your writing um, journey is similar. And I feel like my writing journey is somewhat similar to hers too. You know, she does essays and she wrote a novel and um, I think she's a brilliant editor. I think she's really good at sort of picking out voices from you know, the larger world. And I, I sort of see myself 
in the same way in terms of teaching. Um, but I also just think she'd be so much fun. So she's amazing. I love like how much personality she packs into the page too. Yeah. And you know, if you're out there listening, Roxanne, give us a call. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> just put um, it to the universe. <laughs> manifesting. Yeah. Um, so our podcast tradition is kind of ending each episode with a writing prompt that you can get back to us with. Um, so I thought a good one, well, we're actually going to give you two. I'm going to give you one and Karame is going to give you another one since I know that you have a lot of extra time on your hands these days. So why not get some writing down? <laughs> so my prompt is that if you're quarantining at your childhood home, whether you're undergrad, postgrad, a kid, whatever you are, if you're at your childhood home, um, go through some of your old books and find one of your favorites and then take the first line of your favorite childhood book and write a short story on it or a poem or something that shares the same first line with that childhood book. So mine is Goodnight Moon. So I'm going to do something with that and I'll let you know how it goes. Oh my gosh. I think I can recite that book. I've read it to my daughter so many times. Uh, so I was going to do, um, I, I sort of hate to end the, the pod on a down note, but I've been thinking so much about loss and everything that we're losing right now, um, sort of as a culture, but I sort of translated that into thinking about when we like lose actual objects um, and how that can become such an epic story in itself. It's like, I'm really bad at losing my keys. I do it all the time. Um, always lose things around the house. Sybil recently, my daughter lost something of my husband's and it was like a whole week's drama. And just the drama of lost objects. Um, I was gonna uh, tell everyone out there to think of an object that you've lost and write the story of that object, what it meant to you, why it mattered that it was lost at all, if it was ever found. Um, but of course, you could also do that as a work of fiction, you know, having a character lose something. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> okay, get to writing. And when you come up with something good, reach out to us at goldenstatewriters at gmail.com or you can visit our website, goldenstatewriters.com. Um, we can't wait to read what you come up with. And as always, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, stay in the golden state of mind.